I had this conversation with Casey Patterson about a difficult partner that he had played with at one point. And I'm like, how were you able to play with him and everybody else like wasn't? And he's like, dude, I'm a great actor. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I might, might need to brush up on my acting skills a little bit. But I think to some degree, I will find person that I need to be with any given partner too, because it is, it's on me to be the best player I can be for my partner. You know, I try and there's just some people I don't want to be like, I do not want to be blamey guy. Like it just goes against everything I stand for to put on someone else, something that might be my fault. And so it's hard for me to be that guy, but there are certain players that thrive on that. Right. You know, you know, you see like Adrian, you see like kind of Casey Jennings, sometimes John and Todd, but, and you look and you say, as a young player, I remember looking at these guys going, you know what, they, they can be pretty tough on their partners and real right. hard nosed and out of college coming out of college and through Was my 20s because I, I liked that thrived on that has phil won any gold medals since todd uh, saddled him up hey everybody and welcome to the better at beach volleyball podcast my name is mark burrick and today we have a really awesome guest he is an avp champion he is one of the most tenured players on tour and he is a volleyball entrepreneur so i have a ton of questions for him he's run classes he has run beach volleyball tournament software and slowly and quietly and perhaps sneakily taking over the beach volleyball world which is really exciting so can't wait to talk to our guest eddie the eagle ratledge what's going on big ed how's it going mark good to see you good to see you so, hey, what was your day like today? I, you've got a few businesses going. You're still competing on tour, still doing quite well. So what was your day like today? This is Wednesday and it's 1 p.m. It's Okay, so, so far today, it has been an eventful day. Not on the business side, on the family side. I would say this summer, I've been a lot more dedicated to my family than I have been. I've got two kids, 12 and 7, and we live in the Huntington Beach area and the Huntington Beach School District, which remarkably is still out on summer break. So everybody in the country seems like they're back. We are on summer break until Thursday of next week, which is great because this is the best time of the year in California. Like the water's warm, the tourists are gone, like parking spots were a plenty down at the beach this morning. So I took my seven-year-old daughter out uh, surfing and my 12-year-old son, William, he went out surfing as well. And it was an eventful day because uh, while I was out there, I stepped on a stingray. And I oh, got a no. fantastic souvenir. Yeah. Uh, this is my third time being hit by a stingray. What? Uh, the first time hurt really bad. The second time was the worst pain in my life. And the third time, this was not that bad. It's actually already a zero, which having happened only about three hours ago, like that is not to be expected. Like my second one hurt for like two weeks because it was like full puncture wound and like the venom got way in there and it was brutal. Uh, are this you one, stepping on them? Stuff. Are you jumping up? Why are they all finding you? I don't. Well, I mean, I do spend a fair bit of time in the ocean at places with little waves, which is where stingrays like. You know, with little kids, you don't take them in the big stuff. And so today we're at a place called Blackie's Beach, uh, Newport Pier. Very gentle slope down, which stingrays love. The water's warm. There's no one there. So I knew it was a stingray day and I literally was shuffling my feet the whole time the way you're supposed to. And all of a sudden I just felt a little prick and I'm like, oh no. But uh, thankfully it's already a zero and uh, just a little one. So maybe all that stingray shuffling kept me from getting the full puncture wound that you get when you actually step on one. Because I don't think I stepped on this one. He just wanted to check out what my big toe tastes like. Take a fight with 
<laughs> with the biggest guy in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he won. I spent the next hour in the uh, lifeguard shack putting hot water on it. To Dang. Sorry, man. With the cane, which was Thanks. intense, but it's gone now, thankfully. So <laughs> got the kids in the water and uh, then grabbed some breakfast burritos with them. And yeah, just good family time right now. Going to be in Chicago flying out there tomorrow. Cody, my partner for Chicago, is already on a plane today. Otherwise, we would have been practicing this morning, but he had an earlier flight, so I had some time for the kids. Cody, is your second or third partner this season? Yeah, I've played with a bunch of guys this year, and it really started with Casey Patterson. Uh, I was lucky enough to get to play an event with an Olympian, and I highly recommend doing that if you have the chance, because the way those guys who have played at that level, the way they think about the game, like even if like we weren't the best team together and I, mm. God, we could have been so good if we just had good conditions for the one tournament we got to play in. They have so much to teach at that level. And Casey's such a talker about strategy and he's always thinking. And I actually thought we could do really, really well just because of that. And unfortunately we ran into like the hottest weekend of the year in Austin. And it was just, it was survival mode volleyball. And neither of us could really get in the groove and the flow and the fun and the celebration that, kind of drives us both to be great. And we yeah. just kind of have the quietest, like trudge back to serve. Don't celebrate because it's too hot to do anything. That is of not either of you. Yeah. No, oh. it was brutal. Like I was just like the, I, I did not imagine that, you know, mm. I, you know, Austin has been warm, but it's never been like humid and like, just like staggeringly hot. And you know, I just imagined, you know, getting into it with those Austin fans that are always so good. They're so, They're so rowdy. The I love the Austin fans. I love them. Oh, like, it would have been so much fun to like. And if they don't like me. you, that that's like, aside from the Raiders, if the Austin fans don't like you, you're in for it all day long. And right. personally, I love that. You know, like, yeah. if you care about what's happening on court and you're willing to, to say it vocally, this is going to be a fun day. Yeah. Yeah. And... I really wish we could have gotten a couple more matches in there and like, and celebrated and had, you know, that success that, that you want to celebrate in. But uh, so it started with Casey and uh, then he got to be playing with Phil and, mm -hmm. you know, I'll be sloppy seconds to Phil any day. That's fine. <laughs> uh, played a few with Miles Evans and did all right with him. And yeah, then got to pick up Cody for a couple of these and I'm excited about Cody. He's got a bright future ahead of him. I mean, yeah, we were talking about that a couple right. of years ago, right? We're, we're defense saying, blocking, like he's. You were you actually uh, said this to me. You, you said Cody might be rings quality. You said I think those were your exact words. You're like, I'm talking. He might be rings good, which like talking about Olympics for him. And when you see his movement and how high he gets, the angles he hits, his arm swing, when he gets his jump serve going, sometimes it gets inconsistent. But when it's getting going, oh god. Scary um, to be on yeah, the other side of he's that. He's a threat, that dude. Absolutely, and uh, you know he's a high-level side-out player. And he wants he wants to play defense. He wants to do that Casey Patterson path, yep. long, tall defender. Which you know at the international level, you that's kind of the standard now, six-five, mm -hmm. six-six defender. And so it's possible for him because he's young and he's he's after it, and he's got a good. I really like his situation because he he's got a girlfriend that's real good for him. Mm -hmm. And I look at all of these things as a holistic matter. And before she was around, I just felt like there was a piece missing for him just kind of here and she's there and it, it like, he just seems right. And it's yeah, nice to have some kind of rock in your life, no matter what it is, right. you know, like sure. something steady. My dog loves me. No matter what I do, my dog loves me. Even if you got a dog, <laughs> right? I, that's, 
Yes, I 100% agree. You know, sometimes, you know, we talk like, this is Benji. Dog loves you. (laughs) Beautiful. Loves me. Right. That's your rock. There you go. Yep. Uh, my wife too, uh, Jessica. You're you're amazing. Like none of this would happen without you. So yeah. What, out of the guys that you've played with this year, who had your favorite mentality to play with, or like the way that their demeanor was, and why? Like, what do you think was the best fit for you? I don't know. Socially, mentally, emotionally. Well, I did get to play one with Rafu in uh, early March, or like maybe even February, we played a Florida event and uh, we played that one together and I had so much fun with him. Obviously we have that success. He was who I won the, that event with, had so much success with him. He moved to Florida, which broke my heart, but I got to go out there and play with him. And I'm just like, God, it's magical. The way mm-hmm. he touches the ball, the way he thinks and moves, like it's just a magical connection for me. And so I'm always looking for the opportunity to get back with him because I mean, he's was that special, like special player for me. I got to play one with Chase Frischman. That was really cool. He flows but socially. Really well. Like what, what do you think? What do you think mentally Rafu does well for, for you that like, other than touch, other than like yeah. he's nasty side out, his arm moves, you know, a million miles per hour, even if he's hitting a cut shot or a high line. So it's so hard to read what he's doing and everything is controlled from setting to passing. But what does he do from a social mental standpoint? In Rafu's mind, it's always Rafu's fault, which is, it takes off so much pressure from me because from in my mind, it's always my fault too. Like you didn't side out a ball. Well, I could have set that better. Like that's my mentality for better or for worse. And in, in some ways that can be for worse. You know, you get an egotist that's just like, yeah, that was your fault. And it's like, well, you know, maybe your past needed to be a little better too. <laughs> I was just trying to take something off for you, but now that you're throwing it all over me, like. Eh. <laughs> Rafu is like, yeah, exactly. Rafu, he has such an internal locus of control. It's always up to him about whether his team is doing good. It's, he's not that guy that, you know, that it's your fault, which is, so nice because it's my fault enough in my head and so him taking it off of me sometimes felt and always has felt really good do you think there are any players that are like that with some partners but not with others you know like i there's always like that different mix of personality and sometimes you just get a different version of somebody 100 percent agree and i had this conversation with casey patterson about a difficult partner that he had played with at one point and i'm like how were you able to play with him and everybody else like wasn't and he's like dude i'm a great actor i'm like <laughs> you know i might might need to brush up on my acting skills a little bit but i think to some degree I will find person that I need to be with any given partner too, because it is, it's on me to be the best player I can be for my partner. You know, I try and there's just some people I don't want to be like, I do not want to be blamey guy. Like it just goes against everything I stand for to put on someone else, something that might be my fault. And so it's hard for me to be that guy, but there are certain players that thrive on that. Right. You know, you know, you see like Adrian, you see like kind of Casey Jennings, sometimes John and Todd, but, and you look and you say, as a young player, I remember looking at these guys going, you know what, they, they can be pretty tough on their partners and real right. hard nosed and out of college coming out of college and through Was my 20s because their partner I, I liked that thrived on that has phil won any gold medals since todd uh saddled him up 
I talked to him yesterday and he didn't necessarily love it. He's, he, he was saying, yeah, with Todd, everything was my fault. <laughs> and he, like the commentary on my blocking, he let me know for sure, a hundred percent, anytime I did something wrong. So he didn't love it, but yeah, he thrived on it. And he said that Nick's the same way. He's like chirpy and talking a lot behind him and, and let him know best friends, but they drive each other crazy. What does Herm Edwards always say? Play to win the game. So if that's what it takes, maybe that's what it takes. I feel like Zahn would ride me. And I felt like I probably dealt with that better than a lot of other players like that couldn't deal with that. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we had some success. The thing is, you all, like like all things, you got to find the right amount of balance. There'd be times where I'd be like, bro, chill. Like, it needs to stop now. But even in doing that, like, that's kind of summoning up that boundary setting. Like, all right, we're done with this. This is over. But that only kind of brings out more masculine energy, which can kind of be good. In your career, were those conversations, did you have a lot of outside practice and match conversations about how we should act, how we should talk to each other, what we should do? Or was it kind of more like in my, in my experience, guys just kind of don't want to talk about it outside. It'll be something quick that happens at practice or quick that happens in a match. And then you don't really address it because you can't talk about it for very long or we're uncomfortable right. talking about it for long. So yeah, in your experience, it, were you taking care of it outside I the think, court? I think that's going to change as male vulnerability becomes in vogue. Like 20 years ago, male vulnerability was nowhere. Like that's just not something that you do. And in order to have that conversation, there has to be vulnerability. And, you know, the vast majority of my career was before that was cool. But I think the male humans that we're turning out now are better at that stuff than, you know, the males of my, our generation were. And so I do expect a change there. I can tell you one thing I've done in the past when I really didn't want to have that conversation. I was a tournament day. I would make sure we had somebody in our box. Having a third person in your box in case things get heated or things get cold or like just things feel wrong. Mm -hmm. Having a third person, especially one that's like good at addressing those things, it's worth looking at having a coach. You think that's important for, for practices too? Is it more important for you to have a coach in your box during a tournament? or at practices? Like if you had to choose one or the other? At my age now, I would choose in tournament. If it was well, my first couple of years, I would have killed for a coach in practice. There weren't really any, like it was just get three guys out and have a foursome go play back then. Now it's come a long way where there's a lot of coaching and there's a lot more knowledge. And Who do you think was your favorite inbox <laughs> coach? What did they do well? LT Truman was in my box in Hermosa this year. And he ran a couple practices for me and Miles beforehand. And those were two of the best run practices I've ever been part of. And then the warmups that he put us through, like on game day, were like the best run warmups I've ever been a part of. And the things that he noticed about me and Miles and how we interacted were some of the best and most insightful things. And the stuff that he noticed about our opponents were some of the best and most insightful things that both me and Miles had missed and he was right about them. And like, so LT Truman, I'm really glad I met you this year and actually going to check right now and see if he's going to be in my box in Chicago. <laughs> um, not out yet. That popped up literally just right That's now. Funny. Okay. So he may or may not be in my box. Look <laughs> out. <laughs> All right. He's out in Florida, maybe running some tournaments with him in Florida. We became pretty good friends over that Hermosa thing. And he's got, you know, obviously I, the biggest part of my 
volley OC business. Is that upside down and backwards? Can you fix that? Or yeah, the biggest part of that has always been the youth volleyball tournaments. And so okay. this is a good way to segue into the volleyball life thing. And uh, anyway, he and I were talking about the West Coast of Florida needing some youth volleyball tournaments uh, this coming spring. So he and I may run a little series out there, one a month, something like that, nice. uh, just to be well-run events. You know, we both have a lot of experience in doing that. And I think I think so many directors are not maybe not directors, but tournament organizers. I'm going to hold them to it. You know, I don't think we have enough quality tournament directors in the country. I see kind of amateur events, you know, and, and open like weekend events playing until 830 p.m. when you had 16 teams. How did you not finish this? Disorganization. I think a lot of the online things, I mean, I'll hold AVP to it too. Like trying to navigate right now the like AVP, AVP America site and understand where the tournament is happening. There's in order to see the bracket, to see the brackets, you have to click on a button called nav. And it's like, I, we have to fix some of these things to make, first of all, it easier for people to track. B BVB info is still, in my mind, like the leader in, in online. Like Yeah, that's where I went tracking. to see where my next match was in Manhattan. And like, I, I can't wade through the AVP stuff. Like, yeah. I just can't. None of it's really mobile friendly. You know, the, the smaller events that they do on Bracket Pal, like, yeah, no, uh, but Volleyball Life, that's, uh, I mean, you and I talked before about that. Volleyball Life has taken over probably 70% of the tournaments in the country. All five of the biggest amateur events, Seaside, Wapaka, Boat Ride, um, Pottstown Rumble, FUDS is on it, Motherloads, I think, on it. They're like all the biggest ones are all on volleyball life. And what we've noticed is that some of the smaller ones are shrinking and some of these bigger ones, because they now have infrastructure that's really mobile friendly, easy for the tournament director to like run and describe what's happening and where times it's easy to put all that stuff in. It's mobile friendly. So everybody who's in the tournament can easily pull up their pages and, you know, see who they're playing and where and yeah. they've got wrapping assignments and all that. Like it's, it's, it's making those bigger events like everyone wants to play the big events now because they're all well run because they're all on volleyball life. And I'm very happy to be part of that company. And this is I, I mean, it's your second company that I know of. And it seems like you've become a serial entrepreneur, you know, perhaps Maybe. like, are you just like loving creating volleyball businesses because AVP still going, I mean, since your early 20s, right? And then started Volley OC. I don't know if there was anything before that. And then you're just in Huntington from the outside view, crushing it with big, huge juniors tournaments. And then saying like, you know what, maybe it's a, it's a little bit difficult to track what's happening in brackets and tournaments and getting people to sign up in the right place. So then you worked to create volleyball life to, to make that easier. Do you have any other companies or, or anything in mind? You know, that is about it on the volleyball side. I see other companies coming along like Chase Frischman's flight school, like yeah. such a cool concept. I've always wanted to do exactly what he's doing, where he's just got all these like different locales that he can go to and run a clinic and have a flock, you know? Yeah. I mean, look at Jesus. He had a flock of 12 guys that followed him around and learned from him. That's cool. Like that's a cool way to be. Chase right. has kind of built his flock in each of these places that want to learn from him. Like I always wanted to do that, having a family and kids like that's like being away as much as he has to. 
Mm. Like it's not that feasible for me to go and do that. And, um, and you, to some degree, you've got the same thing and you've crushed it with yours. Like, I mean, all the business, I mean, how many businesses do you have in volleyball now? Oh, well, it's all still one. Um, it just, it just morphed and now it's just got a lot of different sections under one umbrella. Right. Yeah. And that's what I did with volleyball life or we are sorry with volley OC. Mm -hmm. I I was running adult volleyball classes. I had some private lessons here and there, obviously volleyball tournaments, summer camps. I wanted one umbrella company for all of that. The very first thing I did was summer camps and my last name being Ratledge, I called it the rat camp. (laughs) I still have cool little rat stickers that uh, that are around, but you know, in 2010 or 12, somewhere in there, I was like, yeah, rat camp doesn't really describe volleyball tournaments. It doesn't describe adult volleyball classes at all i need an umbrella brand that's kind of neutral and vanilla that's you know it says hey i'm in orange county it's about volleyball and that's you know how volley oc was born Uh, we went Uh, through that same process where we changed volley camp hermosa volley okay that was in it hermosa okay but then i said like yeah we gotta we have to grow and be able to grow beyond hermosa and we also got so many (laughs) we got so many phone calls for people looking for uh for tent spots to camp like volley camp they were searching it and they they thought it like camp beach and i was like all right well we can change this a little bit (laughs) how big's your backyard did you ever put tents in there people are like i'll give you a thousand dollars to let me set up the tent in hermosa beach (laughs) well well, at one point we were uh renting four different apartments and airbnb them for our camps that was wild i was doing airbnb arbitrage before it was like an actual business that people talk about (laughs) that was fun let's talk about how you approach partners when when you're emotional it sounds like you were recommending a little bit more of like a chameleon type mindset right where you're looking at partners and you're saying like who do i need to be for this relationship yeah Uh, is that how you approach it and do you think there's any room for the people who are 100 themselves no matter what no matter who they're around i think there's room in the middle for them i think you might need to have a little bit broader capability if you want to make it to the top just always wearing your heart on your sleeve there are times where it needs to come out and there are times where like push your heart down for a quick second be smart about a longer term view here yeah a chameleon i think it's a helpful way to be i think knowing what role you're comfortable at assuming is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, especially on the women's side, that ability to communicate well without getting into blaminess, that judgment-free zone. It's vital, I think, to be able to go there and not have people's feelings get hurt and have them you know, go into defensive mode against you. So volleyball can be an indictment on your whole person, You know, not just your willingness to train hard, but like if you were raised and you're not a very social creature, volleyball is going to pick at that and you'll struggle to find the right partner because they'll like somebody else and feel more comfortable with somebody else. So like most things, like the more you can grow at all the facets of it, bigger, better your game can be. How do you explain the, let's let's pick on them a little bit, uh, the Adrians uh, and the Todds? Where didn't seem too chameleon-esque, right? Adrian and Nick for for a long time before he got all jolly and silly with Phil. Is that how Nick really is all the time, or is that the best player he could be for Phil? Yeah, that's it. Because right with Phil, like he he seemed to get like a little bit fiery with Furry and uh, with Theo, and then Phil when they started playing together, Nick was almost goofy. 
And then we saw Phil like starting to laugh mid-match for the first time ever. I don't know. <laughs> it could be a good long-term strategy if uh, Phil wants to retire. Make it yeah. fun for him. Right. Yeah. Not a bad idea. But no, fair point. Like these guys, uh, I mean, truly special Nick Lucena. I mean, his ability to side out every single ball for tournaments at a time, like mm -hmm. truly special. I'm reading so, the comments. Get the man some pancakes. T20s. Give me some pancakes. <laughs> Solid human because I'm left-handed. Yes. Appreciate you, commenters. The the partnership with Ryan Mariano. It, looking at it when I first came on to ABP, like you were already playing with him. It You guys were together for, what, seven years? Seven-ish years, yeah. There were like six really solid seasons where we played every event together. And then he took 2013 off and we played another event in 2014. So, yeah. What do you think you attribute sticking together for that long? You know, you're always finishing right somewhere right between like seventh, third ninth. and seventh, right? Yeah. Yeah, third. We had a bunch of thirds in the Cuervos in 2012. But you were yeah. one of the longest partnerships in the AVP at that time. I, you know, I mean, and you, and you stuck it. You stuck it yeah, out. Outside of the, uh, the folks, I mean, shoot, we might still be playing together if he hadn't, uh, you know, moved to Arizona yeah. and uh, started his club that's kicking everybody's butt. What do I attribute that to? You had two guys that were the same age that were in the same tier that did corresponding things. You know, he's a block or he's a uh, left side defender. I'm a right side blocker. We, and we lived in the same hometown. You know, we both called Huntington home. I mean, there were so many days where I just, you know, called him up. Hey, what are you doing? You want to go down? Okay, let's go down. And we just go down and hit some balls. And like, it's so easy when you live close to each other. And so that was part of it. And you know, we got along well off the court. We're friends. We're, you know, just kind of in the same mode of life. And so we had a pretty good base understanding of each other. Neither of us were going to like make a lateral move out of that. And neither of us were really interested in spending six figures a year to go chase a wild Olympic dream against guys who were beating us on ABP, you know, but we were kind of at the top of the main draw outside of the international guys anyway. So why mess that up? So for you, was it like kind of a, a personal promise? Like, Hey, I gotta, I have to beat the guys on the home soil first. And then if I can do that, I would go international i feel like there's a lot of players that definitely don't do that route you know they'll, they'll try to go overseas and and it is true right you, you haven't beat the guys that you're gonna have to beat in a country quota and now you want to go and take on the world the thing to think about at that time period was there was no way on to the international tour either without playing with somebody who had points like there weren't one and two stars like norseka did not give you fivb points and so, you know, we couldn't even get into like country quotas because we had no FIVB points if we had wanted to. And maybe we could have like snuck in somehow and maybe we could have really. But like there's also a duty to your family when you're me and like, you know, I'm a newlywed. I don't have a gigantic income and blowing all this money to go you know, to Croatia to play a, an event that I'm going to potentially lose to a team that's beating me here. Like that just didn't make sense when I'm the breadwinner for my family and, you know, I'm making okay money on the AVP and doing what I got to do as an entrepreneur to like, so it didn't make sense financially. It didn't make sense in a lot of ways. And it was extremely difficult back then to really chase those international dreams. How are you balancing that now? Uh, we get a lot of questions that have to honestly have to do with timing and scheduling. I just got an email that said, how do you balance working out for volleyball, playing volleyball, uh, having a family, having a job, and then doing the, the, the rest of everything? 
Right. So how are you finding time to have two companies be still be a professional athlete and, you know, a father of two, a husband? That's a lot. And then forget it. People don't even talk about friends, right? Like for me, my friend and like, unfortunately, like my brothers, my, my, my family, like that's dropped off in the last two years because got married. So now I want to give as much as I can to my wife, but I'm still lots of business and and still playing volleyball how do i fit friends back in so how do you manage your schedule training working working out very carefully <laughs> um, and i gave a big shout out to my wife earlier jessica like there are a hundred different things that she wanted me for this summer you know a camping trip here uh you know a, a friend's trip there and She's thankfully been okay with me prioritizing volleyball all these years because I'm chasing my dream. And like, you know, my dream is to stay a pro volleyball player as long as I can. And like, she's been supportive of that. So first off, choose wisely and someone that's going to support you in your dreams and don't waste the time of somebody who you don't think is going to support you in your dreams. That's huge. Are those individual conversations or is it can't volleyball? Or is, is there like a little bit of negotiation or is she completely, oh, there's volleyball? Okay, no questions asked. We're good. You know, because now I'm finding myself, I'm having conversations where I'm like, should I go to this tournament? Like, what's the over? What's the under? How much well, can I Well, this lose? year's AVP has really like pushed that and, uh, and given her a lot more leverage there. Don't get like, me started on this when, year's season. You know, two years ago, three years ago, where every tournament that I signed up for, I brought home 1500 bucks of cash. It's just, it's not a question about whether I'm being a breadwinner by going and playing that tournament. But, you know, I played AVP Michigan. I took a fifth place. I lost a two main draw teams uh, en route to a fifth place there. Qualified for Hermosa, which is cool. But I think we split like 800 bucks and it was like so that's a 500 a, loss plus family plus uh opportunity time, right. right like so the way the avp is right now with you know having to play these little tournaments to maybe make it into a big one where you would actually make your money back for having played the little one that's not making money and i like what they did in some ways because it really does open up the field and it's gonna like it's gonna create churn it's percolating guys in and out and that's okay it makes it harder for somebody like me to like really commit to playing all these and i've i've actually missed avp events this year for the first time ever where I'm just like, you know, I've got a family commitment that's important. And I don't know if that I'm really going to be a breadwinner by going to this event. So, yeah, I think I'm going to just do the family thing. See, it's got upsides for sure. And I, especially on the men's side, there needs to be young blood. You know, there needs to be young, you know, newer players getting in. And and I think that it is... Yeah, but is then you're asking moving. a 23-year-old to fly to one tournament when you know that their bankroll is coming from maybe bartending or personal training. So now to get into one tournament, they have to go to two tournaments. Right. And if you're just getting started, you take the 13th, you take the ninth, um, you take the fifth losing money. Now you spent two weeks and maybe come out a hundred bucks on top, you know? So what's the hourly rate there? I, I didn't like the system this year. I'd like to you know, go to one tournament, qualify for one tournament. They're cutting a lot of the financial ability. And I think a lot of teams dropped off and started making those questions financially being like, it's August. And now I can't really afford to play any more tournaments because I've been all those. And you could argue, all right, well then don't Maybe play. Maybe that's why they you know, spread the season out all the way to December. <laughs> um, I, I hope it changes next year. And I hope they at least allow us into the conversation of what's happening and how it's right. being run. Or maybe we should just step up and get in the conversation more. Yeah, I mean, there's positives and negatives, and I, I try to see all the positives and all the negatives. 
positives. These guys that are making it into the main draw by qualifying uh, aren't beat to hell from five matches the day before. There's a positive. You know, you got guys all on equal footing. That's kind of a positive. You know, you've got more content that's being created. You know, they've that's got, fun. yeah, the fact that there's more matches out there to stream. Like, I'm stoked about the AVP channel. I think the AVP Instagram is doing well. I love yeah. that there's like that the AVP finally committed to um, what Mission Beach Volleyball YouTube channel was years mm. ago, you know, like, yeah. hey, now every pro match is, or, or a match with pro players is on YouTube and easy to find. I, I love that. It's, uh, that, that's a good thing for sure. And I mean, I just look forward to Bally's hopefully adding gambling at some point and monetizing this sport. That's why they bought us. And that's what needs to happen for us to really go big is that monetization. And, you know, that happens you know, part of me is hoping that I can hang around long enough to like part of that where prize money is way bigger because there are more revenue streams for the owners. Yeah, I always kind of feared that. I'm like, all right, you take guys who have been playing for 10, 15 years and the prize money, they can get $4,000 if they win the tournament. And then you have a gambler who likes gambling and has a bankroll. And he's like, all right, you know, throw this game and I'll give you more than you've gotten in any season in your life for this tournament. There's a little bit of that possibility. I guess that that's possible in any sport, right? Right. hundred percent. And then PEDs, there's another question. I've never mm -hmm. been tested my whole career. And do I think some guys that I've played against have been on them. Yeah. Mm. And do I think if the sport goes huge, there will be more guys on it? Yeah. Kind of got to add some point. The money goes huge doing everything they can to win. Yeah. And um, I mean, even on the world, other, tour, uh, even on the world tour, they plug got in the laptop here. Who, why do these laptops need electricity? There's your next business. Figure out the new, but like I yeah, mean, right? world tour, there's not a ton of, of money, but they're testing all the time. Still, it's not absent of like you said, performance enhancement, but it just seems like, man, there, there needs to be some, some more influx of catch. And to me, this season, and it's interesting that we're going down this road, but this season didn't feel like Bally's had any sort of input or action. It was almost like we bought it. Now let's wait a year and we'll get going in a little while. How do you manage your time? You know, how, how yeah, often right. are you working out now? How often are you practicing between business, volleyball, staying in shape for volleyball, which is separate from actual volleyball and then family? Well, having uh, thrown a little garage gym in has been helpful. So before I go to bed at night, like I hate lifting in the, in the morning because I'm just kind of tired all day, like mm. from that big exertion. But if I lift at night before I go to bed, you know, I was going to be asleep anyway. So now I'm just going to get more of that deep wave sleep and hopefully recover my body a little bit more. Yeah. So I've been doing that and that's very efficient because I don't have 20 minutes running over to the gym, 20 minutes running home, like cutting out that like is efficient. So that, that helps me stay in shape, little garage gym. And you don't need a ton of stuff in order to do that. Like I literally bought two by fours and uh, Home Depot buckets and concrete and attached them to my rafters. And now I've got a squat rack because of, uh, because of that. <laughs> look up uh, YouTube. Uh, it was a great pandemic project. Did that. And that's, that's really helpful. I got a bunch of yoga mats for a floor with a rug over them. So it's not on concrete. It's on like a, a soft padded floor. So any kind of, oh, okay, yeah. So you stacked some yoga mats have, on top I of I have a... 16 yoga mats that were given to me by somebody for whatever. And so I just put four, 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 and a rug that fit perfectly over the top of them. So it's kind of seamless. And so it's a brilliant floor. It's perfect. Anything I want to do that I, you know, got to go down to a knee, it's padded. 
If I want to okay. do plank on my elbows, it's padded. So it's kind of perfect. Are you doing that? Is there any mindset there with like jump impact as well? Like, are you doing jumps in your gym or is it more kind of body work? Some jump stuff. Uh, I'll actually go out to outside the garage for that because I would hit my head on the rafters for, okay. uh, for like true jumps, but I don't do a ton of jumping in the gym. I do a okay. little bit. Like I like to do a trainer that kind of described a French contrast method where you do a heavy something, either a squat or a deadlift or a, or a something that's heavy mm-hmm. with it uses every like every one of your muscle fibers there and then you go and you do an aided jump where you actually have yourself like hooked up or you're just grabbed on to a rubber band that pulls you up mm. so you get that neurological component of all the muscles firing at once right plus you know you've basically told your muscles all of you are, are going to be used right now all those yeah. muscle strands so that's the kind of jumping stuff that I like to do the most. Um, it's kind of like uh, overspeed training in, in sprinters. Over, but they'll, exactly that. they'll tug them with a with an elastic band to make them run faster than they could under their own power. Yes. And then their body that experiences that speed. Yeah. They've got like harnesses that they put swimmers in so that swimmers can get used to going a couple miles an hour faster than they would. And because that's a different neurological cadence that they have to have in order to do that. And so, mm. um, yeah, part of it's the strength and in order to pull that hard. And then part of it's just the neurological like firing patterns that you need to go at that speed. So yeah, that's the mentality there. And and so, okay. So you're working out at night, you've saved at least, uh, and I'll say like, just drive into a gym 10 blocks away that that saves me at least an hour a day by having my own garage gym and there's no commitment there but some people like to get out of their house they feel like they're in a better mind space when they have different locations for different activities not me but so you're doing that in the evenings because you just feel it's it's better for your day how many times are you getting into the gym versus how many times are you on the court uh, you're in your 40s now, right? Well, I'm so, 45 years old, and I'll get on the court two, three times a week, and I'll get in the in the garage gym two, three times a week, depending on you know what stage it is. But uh, yeah, and that's enough. That's enough for me because so much of it's just about maintaining strength and not having to relearn how to play volleyball as a weaker athlete. Like that's important. When you're at practice, you know you know the game by now. You know every scenario. So when you're practicing, where does your mind go in terms of practice? Is it learning how to connect with the new partner? Is it just making sure that you're feeling all of your touches? So you're trying to get 10 perfect passes, 10 perfect high lines, 10 slap slap angles. I'm a big meditation guy and just trying to be in the moment. In every circumstance, I've got a certain couple of cues that I'm trying to like be on, you know? So I'm about to receive serve. What's your name so people can follow? At Ed Ratledge, all one word. I got in early. Easy. Very nice. Yeah. So at Ed Ratledge and uh, yeah, back in the, if you scroll down far enough, you'll see one of me and William Bull. He was like mini inflatable tube man. And I was obviously maxi. Okay. So take me back to that, that meditation during practice. Um, You're saying when the server's holding the ball. Okay. So if a server's holding a ball and they're about ready to serve pre-serve routine that I want to just do every time, just, I want to look back and make sure I know exactly where my sideline is and where my inline is. I want to get into that squat to the point where like my knees obscure the view of my ankles, which means my knees are just bent enough. If you look down, because it's very easy to kind of get low and just do that with a hinge at the waist and not really, especially if your legs are a little tired or whatever, not really get enough of that 
you know, knee bend to get good triple extension in an explosive move toward wherever the ball might be going. And then as the server uh, tosses the ball up, I want to simultaneously be trying to find the bottom point of that ball that I'm going to try to track. And I want to have my arms go out into that serve receive ideal position in case it comes directly to me. And then right on contact, I want to make sure my feet kind of flutter to make sure that I'm on top of the sand and equally balanced. If I was leaning one way, that flutter gets me back on top of my feet. So I'm upright. So you're taking a couple of steps during serve contact, like um, a little bit of movement instead of being planted? Yes. Uh, I think most most contacts that might be coming your way, you do want to flutter your feet to make sure that whatever lean you have gets taken out. Because your feet, if you're leaning, your feet will come under you without you having to think about it. And right. then you'll be back to balance. I call that the Butch May shuffle. Butch May was Misty's dad, and he always prescribed that to pull your feet out of the sand, right? On contact of a serve, of a hit. And I've always taught that to all my athletes because I just think that it creates a more balanced athlete that's not going to have the lean overloading one of their legs that they can't then get out of. We had Tryon a few days ago, and he was talking about starting deeper in the court, everything on defense and on serve-receive, and actually kind of like walking or stepping forward, and it kept his weight more forward. And so I started playing with that today a little bit in serve-receive, and I did. I felt lighter when I wasn't completely 100% planted in serve-receive. It felt like it was a little bit looser. My weight was more forward, so the ball didn't feel like it was attacking me. It felt like I was going at the ball, which was a, a, to me, it was a nice feeling to play with. Right. And I wonder if Nick Lucena was onto that with his like super deep start. Like he pretty much has his heels on the end line, walking forward. So okay, similar. Just did. I mean, like just slightly different applications. But for each phase of the game, I've got like that. I've got those cues that I'm trying to, you know, those three, four, five things that I'm trying to do every single time. And it's just basically a battle to keep my focus on those things that I'm supposed to be focused on so that, you know, I get into a, a match in a tournament and I know that I can just do it like I did in practice and mm. things are going to come out okay for me. So it doesn't matter to you to design like a reps practice or a competition practice or wash drills, anything like that? I think those all have their place. There is one reps practice that I succeed a lot more when I've had one in my tournament week. Okay. Um, I call it solo day where it's just me and a partner, maybe a third person. And the focus of that practice is largely the blocking and defense component where I get a lot of blocking reps because that blocking serve receive is great because I can go through those four things and there's time to think about everything and just do it. Blocking's harder because it all happens so fast. And so having done a day where I have a chance to really think about it in between reps and just like be on, you know, my my cue progression, you know, where are my eyes looking? You know, what are my hands doing on this block? What's my, you know, what's my body movement like on this block? Having a day like that in my tournament week is really important for me. And then part of that day as well is transition set. And I like doing it in the wind too, because different winds, you have to like be conscious of different things. You know, when the wind's blowing it at you, you know, a high dig, you want to make sure you don't get too close to because it's going to get too close to you. And then you're going to have to roll it away more than you wanted to, or, or, you know, your angles kind of go wrong when you unhinge because it came too close to you. Getting a, getting a day, like an afternoon day where I get some of those reps in, in blocking and defense is vital to me. Uh, I think less important is like doing a day where you've got practice that's 
competition, but it's like doing wash drills. Like wash drills are cool. All right. I especially like them when there is an unevenness of, uh, of players. Like if you've got somebody in your group, that's probably not going to be able to beat you in a, uh, in a scrimmage, say doing something where, yeah, it's where it's like a shorter a game or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where it's a shorter game and they can succeed, you know, in, in shorter intervals and they can push you to have to really make sure you beat them. So that's a good um, way for better players out there who are trying to make a good practice when they don't have all the best players around them. Design things. a game where you need to, you know, you start at 15-15 and you play to 21, or you always have to end with like two points in a row or three points in a row to get a point because then you're challenging your consistency and ability to focus, right? That's good advice for players out there who can't always build the training groups that they want to. I don't know how Tim Baumgren does it. I'm sure there are good <laughs> players in Minnesota, but it's not Hermosa Beach out there. And he's still like top of his game, crushing everybody. So he's got Shamrock and his brother. And there's a, there's a couple more. I think Van Ort is, is out there. He's, he's got a, a, a like five guys who can play ball there. It, if you're good and from Minnesota, I apologize for what I just said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get phone calls about this. Angry emails and phone calls. Yeah, Ed Ratlitz on Instagram. On this <laughs> in your complaints. Well, okay, so big ups it, to you guys who keeping three. him at the yeah. top of his game. The whole state is. Uh, so, okay, so you've got effort. two to three workouts, two to three, and and I like that the French contrast. And people can can definitely search that. And I've had some fun with that too, lifting heavy and then going out and then like light jumps. Like I said, you feel like you're firing. And that overspeed training is, is key because when you lift heavy, you're recruiting neurons. It's not a it's not really a physical. You're actually recruiting more neurons and teaching them to fire. And then when you jump afterwards, now you're associating those neurons with an actual jump. That's nice. And then you're trying to make sure that you get one, at least one good reps or, or solo day per week when you really want to lock down and be successful. I feel like it's so tough on blockers. You can share your experience with this. But for four people or even, you know, two people to dedicate a 20, 30 minute session to saying, yeah, we're going to get this guy or these two guys just blocking reps. You know, you, you don't get full points and you know, we're focused on, on the blockers. It doesn't really involve anybody else. So I feel like it's, it's so hard for blockers to be able to practice blocking. Well, the drill that I like to do on that solo day, and it's good that you brought, you know, everybody else in there. The drill that I like to do, I call it the, the four touch or the, it's the four way drill where the first ball, the blocker gets a clean stuff opportunity. You know, the ball is going to be hit off of a box to the line. The blocker is going to be blocking the line. Clean stuff opportunity. Second ball, it's going to be a hard driven dig opportunity for the defender, which turns into a transition set opportunity for the blocker. Defender gets to go hit. Third ball, it's a pull for the blocker. That's really important, making sure we practice our pulls. I, you know, I need every pulling rep that I can get. LT helped me with that a little bit. He kind of gave me permission to just backpedal a little bit. I was always trying to open my hip. And really? you know what? Oh. Just yeah, backpedal with hands up. I it's underrated. Especially when you're tall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can get away with that. Two big backpedal steps. You're already at half court and your hands are, so your chest is facing them. We made that adjustment with Hudson like really early on because he kept getting literally hit in the shoulder. And I was <laughs> like, dude, like just backpedal. Um, stop, yeah. stop trying to cross over because I think women in the women's game, they can make the decision to peel earlier. So that's av available to them. Like sometimes women are peeling because they can't grab it. I think guys peel because at some point, oh shoot, he's off balance or he, he, so we have to make that decision a little bit later. 
I don't think in mid-game, a lot of open men have the opportunity to cross over plant. Yeah, it's all so fast. And yeah. so, yeah, it's tough. But that, so that's the third one. And then the fourth one is just a shot either direction. And that turns into another transition setting ramp. And those are the ways, those are the four ways that you score points, mm -hmm. you know, uh, outside of an ace. Like those are the four ways that you score points is doing those things well. And that can turn into several points in a set, you know, having some reps at doing just that. And so that's, that's my big solo. That's the drill that I'll literally spend an hour doing. Do it from all four corners of the court so you get a different feel for the wind each time. And yeah, that's, that's big. Even there, it still seems unfair to you because it's like, all right, now 25% of the time in one drill, you get to study your blocking, you know? It feels like there should be more opportunity for you to, to tweak and adjust. When you're blocking and you're studying your blocking and for everybody out there who's practicing, if you've never attempted to only just work on blocking and saying like, I'm going to block, I'm gonna work on my structure, my feet, how deep I jump, how fast I jump. You need that opportunity. And if you don't, then you can't keep blaming yourself for not getting blocks in game. But what are the type of details that you, in your head, tell yourself when you need to make blocking fixes? Like what are you, what are you telling yourself most frequently? A lot of it's just eye work. And for me, if like the single best cue that I can give myself is to try to see the ball over the net. Let me see if I can do this on camera. If this is the top of the net and we got to visualize because it might be a podcast. Yeah. Well, if, if you've, if you've got the top of the net and you're looking up and you see the apex of the set, it's up here. The ball's up right where this better at beach thing is here. Okay. I don't know if that's going to be there, but you're looking up and you've got this eye line to the ball. So think of a uh, teeter totter where the ball is falling and you are rising at the same time so that you keep that ball over the top of the net as you oh, rise. Interesting. Yeah. So that you always uh, have a clear view of the ball over the net. Right. Huh. Now there'll be a, a point where, you know, you're going to go to the, the hitter to see if they're like leaning one way or the other with your eyes, but timing the ball is, is vital. And, you know, the hitter is going to try to throw a shoulder fake, whatever at you, but the ball doesn't lie. The ball shows you exactly where it is. Um, and Whitmarsh always talked about that. He was like, I don't really look at the hitter that much. I just look at the ball and try to time it well. And some part of you does have to pay attention to whether you think the hitter is shooting or hitting, but just having a good feel for like when to penetrate the net because you're on your way up and the ball's on its way down. That's a, a good way to get stuff blocks on hard hits. What would you change in terms of timing based on if you thought someone was shooting or you thought someone was hitting you generally go later when they're shooting because it's going to take the ball a little bit longer and you want to present a little bit higher less penetrative block because as you do that it's going to give your defender more time to go up and over the top of you okay so wait if you're playing a shooter wait a little bit longer so that you can do the, the high reach maybe touch a high line uh, because Touch I think the they're trying line. to get over you. Yeah. Especially if you're going to be on hand, you know, for your partner to dig it up to you to spike, you know, you want that touch. I think that's some in the beginning when people are playing or they come straight from indoor, it's always penetrate, penetrate, penetrate. And they forget that like a blocker also has to read and adjust where they are. So it's not all about penetrating. Sometimes it's about reaching to the heavens and trying to climb a ladder and just touch something. Sometimes it's about surprising someone with how high you can get. You know, you make 10 block jumps at uh, 10 feet, six inches, and then you go up to 11, that's going to change things for them. And mm -hmm. they're going to feel a little funny about that. So, uh, and then they get a little frustrated as soon as you touch a high line and then they think they have to hit it faster or higher. And then just that mindset from the hitter 
gives your defender more time the next time, which is really nice. Good talk, Ed. Hey, I appreciate all the lessons, all the advice. It's it's cool to see the the entrepreneurial spirit is still kicking butt. Um, nice to see that volley life, volleyball life is successful for all of the tournament directors and organizations. And if somebody ever came to, to Huntington Beach, can can they look can they look up Volley OC for classes and private lessons? For sure, yeah. Um, yeah, come out, try one of our adult classes. We've got four classes a week right now, Tuesday and a Wednesday class uh, that are in the evenings, uh, six to eight usually. Then we've got uh, weekend classes that are like mid-morning, 10 to noon or 11 to a one on Sundays. And that's, most of those are in Huntington. I do one in uh, Irvine as well. We've got some kid stuff that we're going to be doing in Irvine on Wednesday afternoons before our evening class there. Um, so yeah, there's there's lots of IOC programming if you want to come learn directly from me. I'm reading the comments and uh, the fury of 1,000 lakes upon you from uh, clearly a, a Minnesota player. <laughs> that. That's fantastic. MEA entertainer, star power aspect of volleyball players interact with the audience and when you you interact with the audience a little bit. It's so much more fun for everybody. So much more and, fun. And, uh, you know, at some point we're all so mm-hmm. good on uh, the me's and the Casey Patterson's and the use for talking to people and boring guys that like are like, I got to stay in my zone. I don't want to get distracted. Eh. Learn, learn how to do it all. <laughs> yeah. Hey, when your the crowd, focus, when you're what are you even doing? Yeah. Appreciate <laughs> well, you your time day. too, Mark. Great job. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. Awesome. You too. Thanks for your time, man. Have a good one. Nice. Guys, pretty cool interview with, he's such a steady, consistent part of the sport, part of the game. This is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, over 20 years on the AVP tour. So he's been through the ups, the downs, the long schedules, the short schedules, the years where we didn't have schedules. And he's played with a lot of partners and always, always, always in the top 10 teams in the country. Um, So a lot of success. And You can see that he's figuring it out. He's figuring out how to travel. He's figuring out how to compete, how to work out, run two businesses and, you know, live his life and then be there for, for his family. So it, it is possible. It takes work. Not gonna lie. It takes having a great partner, both on the court and in your life, your life partner who's understanding and and supportive of that. And it takes a lot of conversation and then some sometimes negotiation but you can do it and there are little cheat codes you know one of the cheat codes we got from ed was garage gym you're gonna save an hour with a garage gym and then to me if if you guys head over to betterbeach.com forward slash shop we we have a bunch of recommendations for equipment and basically our staff picks our favorite betterbeach.com forward slash shop that shows all of our favorites and if you click on those and you buy them we get like a little affiliate thing but having a garage gym, a place where I can work out in my home, it leaves me no excuse. It leaves me tons of opportunity. And you're paying a gym monthly, right? To be able to have that. So if you have some sort of space, you can get interchangeable dumbbells. Those interchangeable dumbbells will not take up a lot of space, even if you don't have a garage. And they will be so valuable for you for the times when you can't get to the gym or it's too far away, you don't have a car, whatever, you'll still be able to get something in there. You know, there's always, there's a number of body weight exercises that you can do that can simulate some Olympic lifts as well. If you ever wanted to 
check those out. By the way, we have a great program. It's called 60 Day Max Vertical. Uh, you can find that at betteratbeach.com. But it, it's our vertical jump program. And we show you how to do things with bands, dumbbells, barbells, and body weight so that you have no reason not to do them. And you would be following along in the workouts, in the workout videos with me. So we'd be working out side by side. I'm on screen telling you what technical cues you need to do, how long you need to rest, and what exercise is next. And you just put the work in. That's just one cheat code, right? Where in your life can you save time, become more efficient, you know, stop losing? Or are we on Instagram a little too much? Are we on Facebook a little bit too much? Are you Netflixing for two hours? Sometimes that's a part of your bonding, you know, with your partner. And sometimes you're just wasting time. Uh, there is an opportunity for you to figure out how to lift so you can stay in shape and stay healthy, how to play volleyball and how to live the rest of your life as well. Uh, our last guest, Heidi, she said, you know, she wakes up two hours earlier than the rest of her, her family, just so that she can have that moment and be efficient in the morning. For some people, it sucks waking up, right? <laughs> Um, I know that I don't love waking up early, but for sure, I know that my days are better when I make that micro sacrifice at the beginning of the day, everything falls together in an easier way. And I think you guys can search through your lives and find out some way to make yourself a little bit more efficient, have great partner communication, let them know where you are, what your dreams are, where your goals are, and um, yeah, create some systems that, that allow you to do it for us at Better at Beach. A lot of those systems came in for me investing in more people, more employees, more coaches and saying, listen, I can't keep doing this task because it's it's crushing my whole day. So I don't know if this is going to make money. I don't know if this investment is going to worth it, but at least I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it for three months or six months and I'm going to hire you. Here are the jobs you're going to do. And let's see if we have continued growth or if we can just ditch it in six months. It's, a, it's an investment and it's a gamble, but if it pays off, then your life becomes better. So it's a little bit of business and, and life and timing advice. Uh, just so you know, we have a, a volleyball workout program ready for you. 60 day max vertical. You can find it on betterbeach.com and we show you how to do all the exercises from home or at the gym. So if that's one of the efficiencies you need to find, then happy to help you guys with that. From Ed, being able to be a chameleon and communicate in different ways with different people will make you a better volleyball partner. He mentioned the way that you're raised, the way that the way that you learn how to interact with people will help somebody maybe enjoy your presence more, right? The way that you can communicate them, uh, communicate with them. They, you, if you're a better people person, you'll have the opportunity to actually have more partners. Maybe your personality outweighs your skills, but great, you got to find the wins when you can find the wins and utilize the things that you're strong at. Pretty cool episode. Love getting to talk with Ed, and, and I like his mindset about what he goes through. I like that he has one reps practice per week where it's just reps, and he gave us an hour of drill that we can use, those four different scenarios. Block, peel, dig hard, dig soft, right? Um, that's, a, that's a great three-person drill. You don't need four people for that drill. You can run through that for an hour, hour and a half with three people, and have one of the best practices of your life. So go ahead and, and take that from him and then reach higher on shots, penetrate less and jump a little bit earlier when they're hitting, jump a little bit later when you think they're shooting and that's it. All right, hope you enjoyed the episode. If you guys wanna see any other guests or you wanna hear us talk about different things, I don't know, get in touch, reach out. Uh, my Instagram is at Mark Burick. Our uh, company Instagram is at Better at Beach Volleyball and you can always shoot us an email at support at Better at Beach 
www.ethanfieldcoaching.com. And if you ever want to upgrade your skills and take one of our full-fledged skill and strategy courses, I want you to head on over to betteratbeach.com forward slash coaching. We have a full coaching staff that will look at your videos and actually coach you on your skills, on your decision-making, on your positioning, on your workout technique when you post into our private Facebook group. So you take the course along with the course. It is live teaching. Basically, consider our course like a textbook and then us as the teachers being able to tell you when you're going wrong, when you're going right, and how to make adjustments. We'd love to have you on our team. That's betteratbeach.com forward slash coaching. Other than that, Guys, have a great day. Thank you for your attention. Hope you guys love the podcast. If you do, give it a like, share, share it with your friend, and uh, subscribe. That kind of helps us. So, yeah, yeah. Easy peasy. Great. Thanks. Have a great day. See you on the sand.